0: This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google.
1: I think it's fair to say that the birth of 2 tone Ska was based on an early attempt to marry punk and reggae. If you listen to early recordings of the Coventry Automatics, who would later become the specials, their songs are either distinctly punk or distinctly reggae rock, but not yet a proper combination of the two. Give a listen to the song Jaywalking from a 1978 demo by the band. In fact, it wasn't until Jerry Dammers had the idea to use 60s ska as the foundation for the band's songs as a solution to the punk-reggae dilemma that the band's look and sound finally gelled. While the specials and two-tone bands embraced ska, other bands and musicians continued exploring ways to combine the energy and look of punk with bass-heavy reggae. However, it wasn't until The Basement 5 that a true marriage of punk and reggae was finally realized. Basement, who you ask, have a listen to their track, Silicon Chip.
2: Chips. It's the media age, the modern world, moving into the future before we grow old. Automatic machines, remote control, more leisure time for young and old. Automatic machines,
1: remote control, to get better control. late 70s, Britain was entering what could be described as a post-industrial era of unemployment, no investment, and with Thatcher's policy starting to bite, this all created a period of social turbulence and upheaval. The landscape of major cities were desolate and bleak. The 60s social housing experiment had gone wrong and had created concrete high-rises and estates that bred alienation and hopelessness. Video
2: disc, computer games, automatic machines, remote control, more leisure time for young and old, automatic machines, remote control, to get better control.
1: Starting out in London in 1978, Basement 5 created a politically charged, futurist, punk-fueled dub. Picking up where the Sex Pistols and Public Image Limited left off, the band's lyrics were an attempt to reflect the situation of the black immigrant experience in Britain during the era of Thatcherism, high unemployment, strikes, racism, and working-class poverty. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to this episode of Punky Reggae Party. A special audio documentary series of the Skaboom podcast that focuses on the historical origins and impact of reggae on popular music that will explore the phenomena of punk and post punk bands adopting the sounds of reggae. Chip, chip. In this episode, I'm going to dig into the history of Basement 5, who were arguably the first black punk reggae band, and are described by many artists who followed them as hugely influential and groundbreaking. And amazingly, Basement 5 continues to be one of the few remaining untold stories of its time and era. Mixing punk rock elements with reggae and dub. Basement 5 broke down barriers and paved the way for other Black bands to play rock music. See Fishbone and Living Color. Originally assembled by former Roxy DJ and punk legend Don Letts, with money from Island Records chief Chris Blackwell, the band's lineup, which also included future Big Audio Dynamite bassist Leo Williams, solidified when Sex Pistols and Bob Marley photographer Dennis Morris joined as the vocalist. Morris was 11 years old when one of his photographs was printed on the front page of the Daily Mirror. A camera fanatic since the age of eight, Morris was known around his East End neighborhood as Mad Dennis due to his preference for photography over football. After inadvertently stumbling across a particularly feisty street demonstration one Sunday, Morris took his film to a photo agency on Fleet Street, who promptly sold it to the Daily Mirror for 16 pounds. Accustomed to raising money for films and camera parts by taking photos of christenings and birthday parties, Morris was suddenly on to something. His hobby and all-consuming passion could be done for a living. It was cutting school to wait for Bob Marley to arrive for soundcheck at the Speakeasy Club on Margaret Street that Morris' music photography career really began. Marley, quite taken with the young teenager who was waiting for him, invited Morris to come along and take pictures of the remainder of the tour. Running home, Morris packed his bag and jumped on the bus. His photographs of Marley and the Whalers became famous the world over, appearing on the cover of Time Out and Melody Maker before Morris had even turned 17 years old. Morris's photos of Marley caught the eye of the young Johnny Lydon. Lydon, a massive reggae fan, had long admired Dennis's work, and requested that he take the first official shots of the Sex Pistols upon signing to Virgin Records. Still in his teens, Morris was the same age as the Pistols, and they soon learned to trust him completely, allowing him unrestricted access to their strange and chaotic existence. For a year, he trailed the band, taking hundreds of undisputed classic shots of the band. The only photographer to put the Sex Pistols fully at ease in front of their lens Morris's work with the band established not only their public image, but also his position as one of the most exciting and striking music photographers in the country. When the pistols split, it was Morris who accompanied Lydon and Richard Branson on holiday to Jamaica. Now a close friend of Lydon's, the pair set about finding young reggae artists for Branson's record label. Enthused by the A&R bug, Dennis took a job as art director at Island Records, and signed The Slits and Linton Quasi Johnson to the label. Still working with Leiden, Morris was instrumental in creating the seminal Public Image Limited album Sleeves, their definitive logo, and infamous metal box packaging. Soon, his passion for music led him to join Basement 5 when Let's moved on. The lineup of the band included Morris on vocals, Humphrey, J.R. Murray on guitar, Leo Easykill Williams on bass, and Richard Dudansky, who had played with Public Image Limited on drums. In their short life, the band supported Public Image Limited's debut at London's Rainbow Theatre, performed a number of shows in the UK and Europe, and then signed to Island Records. The result was the album 1965-1980, to 1980, which was co-produced by the legendary Martin Hannett, who worked with Joy Division and Magazine. I had the unique opportunity to interview Morris a few years back for my Marco on the Bass blog. I'll now share his story and the story of Basement 5 with all of you. Chris Blackwell, owner and founder of Island Records, approached Morris about joining the label. Morris was reluctant because Island had no one on the label he found interesting. After many meetings, he said he would only join if Blackwell let him sign an Art Direct, Linton Quasi Johnson, and the Slits releases. Blackwell agreed.
0: Brothers sisters rocking, a dreadbeat pulsing fire, burning, chocolate power and darkness creeping. Night, black veiled night is weeping, electric lights consoling. Night, a small hall soaked in smoke. A house of danger mist, music blazing, sounding, thumping, fire. Blood. brothers and sisters rocking,
1: stopping, rocking as Morris told me music, LKJ out, for me out, was the voice of the youth of Black Britain his poetry fused with Dennis Bavel's reggae beats and captures the feelings of Black Britain of the time the lights
0: breaking
1: slits were off the wall. I felt they would inspire other female artists to take up arms, i.e. instruments." Told me that a number of events occurred that brought Basement 5 together. Basement 5 came through boredom. Bob Marley had died, the Pistols had split, PIL was losing direction, and for me, there was nothing around musically that interested me. So I did what was for me a natural progression, having worked in both music genre and creating images and identities for other musicians. In the case of Basement 5, the look, the logo, the image came before the music. The music was a collage of many influences, not just reggae or punk, and not coming from a music background helped to create a unique sound. shared with me that Basement 5 received varied reactions from audiences when they started playing out live. White rock audiences loved us, but black audiences thought we were weird. I remember once playing a gig in Hamburg in a club. The owner booked us having heard about us and assumed that because we were black, we must be a reggae band. On the night of the gig, all the local black reggae fans turned up. As soon as we hit the stage and started playing, the place emptied. The owner refused to pay us, saying that he booked a reggae band. The band's one LP, 1965 to 1980, whose title is a reference to a diary Morris kept as a kid growing up in Britain during that time, with 1965 being the year he arrived in England from Jamaica, and 1980 being the year the album was recorded. It was produced by noted Joy Division producer Martin Hannett. Morris told me, Working with Martin Hannett was a joy. He was truly a genius. Rock's equivalent of Lee Perry. Completely off the wall. We used everything available to get the sounds we wanted. I even did the vocals for heavy traffic outside the studio in the street. Anything was possible. He had an open mind. We truly connected. The band did confront some issues with the recording of the album, namely that their drummer quit on the first day of sessions at the studio. But the band were able to secure Charlie Charles, the drummer for the Ian Dury and the Blockheads band, to play for them. According to Morris, Charlie Charles from the Blockheads did play drums on all the tracks on the album. We had just finished touring with the Blockheads and had become great friends with Charles and Ian Dury. What basically happened was on the first day of recording, our drummer at the time, we had lots of problems with drummers completely flipped out. He had a nervous breakdown and walked out of the studio, and to this day was never seen again. We were all in shock. Martin came up with the idea about Charlie Charles. I agreed, we made a call, and within hours he was in the studio. He not only saved the day, but also played some memorable beats. The album explores themes of alienation, 70s inner-city existence, and life as a second-generation immigrant And captures the dismal years of Thatcher's reign in the UK. And yet, the songs have a timeless quality. As Morris told me, Bob Marley said, Time will tell. Look at the Basement 5 song, Last White Christmas, Change is Coming. Listen to No Ball Games, Youth Frustration, Too Soon, Man's Fascination with Space While the Earth Is Dying, Immigration, I Feel I Got It Right. Have a listen to No Ball Games which paints a vivid picture of life in a tower block where even ball playing is prohibited. Finally, I spoke to Morris about rumors that U2 borrowed elements of the Basement 5 look and sound. And Morris corroborated this telling me, U2 took everything from us. We played a few gigs together and we always blew them away. Our guitarist JR always wore a cowboy hat and played a flying V guitar. Think of the edge. Also, he had a unique style of playing, rhythm and lead combined. Think of the edge. Bono's stage antics were a complete copy of me, climbing on the PA, flag waving. There is a saying in rock, beware of the support band. Here's U2 with stories for boys from 1979. Decide for yourself if you hear any Basement 5 influences. <laughs> you've enjoyed this episode of Punky Reggae Party. My book, Skaboom, is still available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com, as well as on Amazon. Thanks for listening and take care.